And now I do invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We'll read verses 1 through 15. Acts chapter 16, as we continue our series in the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. That's on page 924 of your pew Bibles. I want you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Paul also came to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and, following day, uh, and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In many of your Bibles, you'll see that the book of Acts, right there in chapter 1, has a title appended to it, the Acts of the Apostles. And what you need to know is this title is helpfully here uh, to give us a reference point uh, to what book we're actually looking at. But the original manuscripts of the Bible uh, did not have such a title. Um, uh, I don't think it's a bad title, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, but... I think perhaps a better title, a title to keep in our minds is the acts of the risen Lord Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit and by his chosen apostles. I know it's a long title, but I think it's important because if we just think of acts as the acts of the apostles, just what Jesus's disciples tended to do after Jesus was ascended and out of the picture, um, then we've got the wrong idea because Jesus is never out of the picture. Jesus is reigning on his throne on high and he's sending forth his Holy Spirit 
who is a, a person of the Trinity, who is God himself and is directing and guiding the churches. And yes, he's doing this through the apostles. But if we read the, the Acts of the Apostles and just say, oh, here's, the, the, uh, here's a history of the church, then we miss that this is actually the history of God's activity in the churches. And that's what the whole book of Acts is about. This is nothing new. You've, you've heard me say this before. Because it's all over the pages of Acts. That the decisions of the apostles, the guidance, the direction the apostles went, was really not their own choosing, but the sovereign direction of King Jesus by his Holy Spirit. Once again, in this passage, which is transitioning us to a new missionary journey, the second missionary journey of Paul, we see this again. We see that uh, all over our pages is the sovereign activity of God, that we serve a God who is in control and who is able to do what we are powerless to do. What do we see in this passage? Two clear things. That we, we, we have a God who opens doors and we have a God who opens hearts. Open doors and open hearts. These are the two things we really see in our passage. And they're really brought together by this thread of a sovereign, in-control God. Uh, I'm not hiding anything. The, the purpose of this sermon is for you to believe that and trust God. Trust him in the decisions of your life. Trust him as you proclaim the gospel to other people. And trust him that he really is today opening doors, opening hearts. Let, let's see why that's important. First of all, notice the open doors that God opens um, the, the doors that God opens in this passage. Um, we've got Paul and Barnabas who uh, have moved in two directions. You'll remember that. There was a conflict, but not a, co a conflict that stopped God or stumped him. It was a conflict that, in, in, in fact, God, by his sovereign control, was using to open new avenues for gospel proclamation. And so Barnabas goes down to Cyprus. Paul goes where? Back to the churches. Um, in South Galatia, and you grab a hold of the, the bulletin insert, and you'll see that there is a map. There's another map, yes, in your, in your bulletin, um, and it's there to help you to understand what is going on, what I'm talking about here. Um, you'll see that Paul goes up from Jerusalem, he goes to Antioch, he cuts across from Tarsus to Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Why is that important? Well, because he's basically wheeling his way back through the churches that he preached to um, when him and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey. First, they went through Antioch to Lystra, Iconium, Derby. Well, now they're going backwards. Derbia, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Um, and along the way in Lystra, they pick up Timothy. I just need to speak to this very quickly because I know you're always going to be wondering, what's the deal with Timothy here? Why did Paul uh, insist upon circumcising Timothy? Because there was this huge deal about, Timothy, about uh, circumcision not being necessary for salvation, right? Um, there's really no difference between Jew and Greek. All are one in Christ. That was the point of the Jerusalem Council. Well, very quickly, let me just say, the reason why Timothy is circumcised here is because it serves the service of Christ in the ministry, not because he needed to be, not because he had to be, but because it was important for him as a, as a co-partner, as, as a minister alongside Paul. He's going to be going into areas where he is, they're starting to proclaim the gospel. They start first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, but the Jews are not going to welcome Timothy into uh, their house unless he is circumcised. 
There's not going to be a door into gospel proclamation unless he, he circumcised. And so Paul says, okay, let's go ahead and do this. Not because it's necessary, but because it's helpful and useful uh, for the ministry. And so Timothy's willing for the sake of Christ to submit even to this difficult thing. Uh, now, we see things like this today, right? We see pastors who um, you know, maybe have to uh, accommodate uh, culture in areas that do not compromise scripture so that they have a window, a door into uh, the cultural uh, customs through which they're going to proclaim the gospel. So this is nothing new. I don't want to be, you to be startled when Paul says Timothy was circumcised, not because it's necessary, but because it's useful for the ministry. So he picks up Timothy and they start moving back through these um, churches until they get uh, to the end of them. And there they are. They're in Antioch. They're saying, where next? Well, why don't we go to Ephesus, Paul says. Why don't we go to Asia? And Asia, um, uh, you've got to understand, is not the Far East as we tend to think of it today. Asia in scriptural terms is really this part of modern day Turkey. And especially the biggest city in modern day Turkey was, uh, was, was probably Ephesus right there um, on the Aegean Sea. You see it there. And so Paul says, well, why don't we go to Ephesus and claim Ephesus for Christ? But it says that the Holy Spirit forbade them to go. A closed door there towards Ephesus in Asia. So Paul says, okay, um, why don't we take our team and start doing missions up north in Bithynia, right there along the Black Sea? And um, again, the Holy Spirit stops them somehow and says, no, don't go there. It's a little confusing, isn't it? Because you're saying they're doing good things. I mean, they just want to preach the gospel. They just want to see people come to Christ. So why is the Holy Spirit closing this door to the south, closing this door to the north? I wonder if Paul, when he set up shop in Troas, just kind of sat there and wondered like, what am I supposed to be doing? And all of a sudden, this open door comes to him through a vision in the night. He sees this dream. And in this dream, there's this man from Macedonia. And he's calling from over the sea. And he's saying, come over and help us. Come over and help us. Paul says, well, that's an open door from the Holy Spirit. Let's pack our bags and let's get the gospel over to Europe. And sure enough, they... Uh, They've had these obstacles to the north, these obstacles to the, to, the, to the south, the Holy Spirit forbidding them to go. And then as soon as they get in the boat, it says that they got there in two days. Now, you've got to understand that about a, a, a 150 miles in two days was amazing. It meant that the wind was behind their backs because when they return later, it takes them five days to go the opposite direction. The Holy Spirit is speeding them along saying, yes, go. This is the open door. And it's like the wind is behind their backs and they're just sailing with the gospel straight into Europe. It's amazing. Now, there are some really important things we have to learn from this. These open doors that God um, presents for gospel proclamation. The first thing that we need to understand from this is that sometimes the Holy Spirit directs you directs me by hindering our plans. Have you ever thought about that? The Holy Spirit actually guides you by presenting obstacles to your plans. 
Sometimes he opens doors by closing others. Maybe, you know, a door closes to the dream school that you really wanted to go to. Maybe a door closes to you marrying the person that you always thought you would marry. Maybe you lose your job. Perhaps you're cut off somehow from a group of friends. Maybe you need to move across the country. Whatever it is, you know, lives change, doors close. And and that can be incredibly frustrating. When When you're in the midst of that, you're saying, Lord, what's going on here? Temptation is to descend into utter despair, utter doubt. Have you ever been there? You've said, why are these doors closing? What's happening? Sometimes those doors are even to good things. You know, maybe there's a relationship and you, you've been proclaiming the gospel to that person. And then suddenly they say, no, I don't, I don't want to hear about Jesus anymore. No. It's like a door slammed in your face. God, how can you possibly be in this? And yet he is. You see, Paul must have been feeling something like that at some point along this this missionary journey as he sees doors close to Ephesus, doors close to Bithynia. And yet it's through those closed doors that suddenly a door opens nice and wide for the gospel to go to Europe. Friends, remember what the Proverbs say that man plans his steps, but God directs his paths. And that what we are to do is to trust in the Lord and with all our hearts, not lean on our own understanding, acknowledge him in our, all our ways, and he will make our paths straight. Sometimes he makes those paths straight even by, by slamming doors closed. He knows more than us. He knows uh, the weaving ways of our life. He knows where he wants us to be. He knows the people he would have us take the gospel to. He knows where we are most maximized and fruitful. And so we have to trust him. Do you trust him when he's closing doors? I wonder if you've ever thanked him for hindering you. Have you ever said, God, thank you for hindering me from what I was about to do? Thank you for stopping me from doing this, even that really good thing, so that you could open the door to something that I hope is better? Have you ever, have you ever thanked God? We can do that. When something that, that we're excited about, we're hopeful for, uh, slams in our face, we can say, God, thank you for closing that. What's next? What do you have for me? Because if you're closing a door, you're opening another. Adoniram Judson. You ever heard that name? He was a 19th century missionary. Um, he has an amazing story I'd love to tell you sometime. Boy. But Adoniram Judson trusted in Christ, and he wanted to take the gospel to India. He wanted to preach to the Hindus in India. But three times, the East Indian Trading Company stopped him and said, nope, we're not going to let you in because you're going to cause some chaos here. We've got a business going. He, went, he, he kept coming back. No, let me into the country. I, I, I want to preach the good news. I want to preach the Lord Jesus. No, 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 no. And then a door opens, not to proclaiming the gospel in India, but to proclaiming the gospel in next door Burma. And he's just given this wide 
open entry into uh, the place of Burma, where guess what? Not one single soul knew of Jesus Christ. And then here Adoniram Judson is, and he starts proclaiming the gospel. And through great suffering, in, in this very dark place that did not know Jesus, suddenly the word starts to spread. And an entire land that knew not the Savior now knows him. And he looks back and in his own writing, he said, I had no idea that when the Lord was closing this door, that he was opening such a wide path to missions. You ought to ask Pastor Brad sometime about the early days of this fellowship, this church, uh, when, uh, when the church was, uh, was still out um, near Easton, or I think, yeah, East Eaton, no, Eaton, Ohio. That's right. New, New Lebanon, West Alexandria area. And uh, they were trying to stir up something. And some of, uh, some, of our, some of you even remember that. Some of you were even involved in that. And, and then the doors kind of closed to traction, to, uh, uh, to traction getting going in that area. And, but, but the doors opened to a downtown church plant. And now here we are. Because there weren't enough families to get going in New Lebanon. But there was a, a door that opened for downtown Dayton. And friends, we've got to be prepared for that kind of thing continuing to happen, happen in, in the ministry. I want you to notice this, that God's vision was greater than Paul's plan. Paul wanted to claim Ephesus for Christ. And that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? It ends up happening, in fact. Paul wanted to claim Ephesus for Christ, but God wanted to claim all of Europe. And so God says, first, let's, let's, let's proclaim the gospel in Europe, and my word's going to go forth there, and then let's come back and let's get Ephesus. God's vision was so much greater than Paul's. And so I, I want you, friends, to be prepared for, for your minds to be blown, for your minds to be opened, for you to be ready for God to open doors that you didn't think were possible and to thank him that he does so because we are so small-minded, but we serve a God who is sovereign and big and in control. Here's another just really reachable, accessible application of this passage. That God still calls people to the mission field. That there's still, in a sense, that vision that's saying, come help us, come help us. That God puts on our hearts, even, puts, uh, puts before us people who need the gospel, places where there is darkness. And you can look around the world and you can see places where Christ is not known. I was just looking on social media this week. I saw that people were, were posting about this one, there's only one island in the world that's never been touched by, or, or it's, it's been barely touched by modern civilization. It's this one little tribe, and whenever people have tried to get there, people have killed them. And the gospel's never been shared there. There's never been a language approach. These people are just living in this isolated island with no contact with the world. And you know what person after person and person after person was saying in the comments? Leave them alone. They're better off without us. Don't, don't, don't tell them anything. Leave, let them be. But do you know what I see? 
But I hope we see when we see that island that's untouched, that is a place that needs Jesus. These are people that do need contact and someone's got to go. For in a sense, there's, there's someone calling from that island. Come help us. Come help us. They don't even know it, but they need Jesus. They might be better off with, without modern civilization, but they're not better off without the gospel. Now, God still calls people to the mission field. Here's my question. What about you? You say, well, I hope someone goes. I hope someone is telling other people about Jesus. But my question is, what about you? If we aren't persistent as a local church to show the beauty and the call of foreign missions, then it's, it's going, it's, then it's going to fall on, on deaf ears. The Lord uses the preaching and the call of missions to stir people up to go overseas to proclaim the gospel. And he does it there and he does it here. And so if you're saying, hey, someone else should do that, what about you? Is the Lord opening, is he closing doors in your life one after another so that you would go to proclaim the gospel? Maybe somewhere here. Maybe a, new, maybe a new angle for proclaiming Christ here in Dayton. Or maybe he's closing doors here in Dayton so that you go somewhere else where the gospel has not been heard. And that's a decision to be made with the leadership of the church, but that's a decision that I do want to place before you in case that is what the Lord is laying on your heart. The Lord is opening doors in this passage. He opens this wide door to cross the Aegean Sea and take the gospel to Europe. And through there, the gospel comes to you. But I also want you to see that the Lord is opening hearts in this passage. This is a sovereign God who directs um, his servants and, and, and directs them to a place where there are those who have not heard the gospel. And then he does the amazing thing of opening hearts to embrace the word of Christ. Now, when Paul first goes to Europe and he ends up in Philippi, there's no synagogue there. Do you know what that means? There aren't 10 Jewish men in that city who are gathering to worship God. And that's significant. Uh, the, the rule book for, for synagogues was, okay, in, in a new city, if you have 10 men there, then you establish leadership and you can, you can worship God. That's, that, that's, that's a sufficient number of people um, to establish a gathering. But here, there, there were not even 10 men who were compelled enough to gather and worship God. But... And so, so that would have been a head-scratcher for Paul because he's there and he's saying, well, another closed door because synagogues are usually where I first go. That's where I find people who would be most willing to think about the gospel in, in an, easy, an easy connection to the Messiah, right? Through the Jewish scriptures. But he's saying, huh, no synagogue. I wonder if there's a prayer meeting. And there is. There's a group of women that, have been, that are meeting by the riverside in Philippi. And Paul just goes to them and starts talking about the gospel. It, isn't that amazing? And he starts preaching. He starts speaking about the Savior, the Savior who died for sinners, the Savior who, who, uh, who died that, that sinners might be justified, made, made right before God. And yes, uh, the Savior uh, who all of the scriptures was talking about. And there's a woman whose ears perk up and she starts listening saying, huh, what's, what's this all about? 
wait, I want to hear more. Her name is Lydia. Lydia is a wealthy and notable businesswoman. How do we know this? Well, she's named in this passage. Almost, almost always, a woman in this culture would not be named unless she was someone of some social prominence. The second thing, she is a dealer of purple um, garments. Now, this is significant because like, this is like the high-end clothing line of the ancient world. Purple garments was what royal um, elite people would wear because it was really hard to get that purple dye from sea creatures uh, and, uh, and, and to, to turn them into something that would, that would make um, clothing look purple. Uh, so here's Lydia, and she is a wealthy, established woman. And you know, Luke, who's the author of this book, he loves to give us a window into how rich people would embrace the gospel. He loves to see how God would even overcome the, the obstacles of riches and wealth and earthly things to show how someone would embrace the gospel. Well, how would someone like Lydia, how would someone who is rich take an interest in the gospel? Well, it tells us it's not because she's so prone to listen. It's not because of some goodness in her. It's not because she's been primed and pumped to believe. It's because the Lord opened her heart. That's how a rich person believes the gospel. And that's how anyone would come to embrace the gospel. Because friends, I want you to understand that in our natural state, every heart is a closed door. Every heart is, is hard shut against the gospel. It says, no, thank you. No way. Get that out of my sight. I don't want to hear about a savior that commands my life. I don't want to hear about a savior that, that, that says what to do with my wealth. Closed door, closed door, closed door. That's what all of us do, apart from the intervening grace of the Holy Spirit who opens this door wide, the doors of our heart, and says, here's a heart that's ready for the gospel. Embrace it, believe it. Isn't that exactly what we see in this passage? It's not because Lydia takes some active initiative. It's because God intervenes in her life and opens her heart to embrace the good news of Jesus. John 6, what does God tell us in John 6? Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Do you believe that about yourself? That apart from God's intervening grace, you were a closed door. Shut with a sign on it, do not disturb, no entry. And God took down that sign and he opened the door so that you would believe in the gospel. And receive Christ as your Savior. Do you believe that? Has your heart been opened to receive the Savior? Let me ask this. Do you believe that God is still opening hearts today? Yes, He is. What that should do is give you confidence to speak to people about Jesus. To tell them as you have opportunity about the Savior. Knowing that somehow... In some way unknown to you, God is going to open hearts to really believe and embrace in his timing. He's the God who opens doors. He's the God who opens hearts. Are you learning to expect that God will lead us to people whose hearts he is prepared to receive and respond to the gospel? That's a really important lesson of this passage, that he's still doing that today. And if you're thinking, if you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, I haven't believed in Jesus yet. Does that mean that God hasn't opened my heart to believe the gospel? Here's what you need to hear. Embrace the Savior. Believe in him. The only way that you would know that he's opened the door of your heart is if you receive Christ. 
So receive him, embrace him, believe in him. That's what the scripture puts before you. The gospel proclaimed to Lydia, the gospel which this woman believed is for you as well. If you would receive this gospel in Christ's name. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open doors of hearts today and every day until Christ returns. Lord, it is really obvious sometimes that when we're, we're, we're preaching the gospel, we're talking about it, there's a, a do not disturb. There's a no entry sign. And yet, Lord, you are the one who can navigate this through your sovereign power. So we pray that, Lord, if it be your will, that you would swing open many doors, even right now, that Jesus would be embraced as the only hope for salvation. We pray that you would make us diligent to speak of the Savior, make us diligent to love the Savior and embrace him ourselves. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We come to the time of the Lord's Supper, so I invite our leadership, our our elders to come forward to help serve.